Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can you die from an exorcism? Did a hairy beast quote-unquote attack people in an urban neighborhood in Hong Kong? Did poltergeists really attack a house and family in Bridgeport, Connecticut? Hey there, and welcome to the 485th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those uh, many and varied questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad, and I'm Ben. And this evening we bring you an open line show where we will uh, begin with uh, some extreme paranormal material. Uh, we didn't have time uh, for last week's show, uh, that we didn't have time for on last week's show. Uh, then we'll get into your questions, and if you, ha- if you had something you'd like to ask or make a comment or... Whatever. Or just to talk to us. You can uh, call us locally at 401-766-1240 or anywhere in the U.S. You can use uh, 800-449-1240. And that's in the anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. Now, before we get going, nobody got the answer to last week's contest question. Who was the first major paranormal researcher to write about unidentified submerged objects or USOs? The answer was Ivan T. Sanderson, a swashbuckling and free-thinking marine biologist who coined the term cryptozoology in the 1940s and later got into UFO and USO research. <coughs> so better luck next time. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so let's get on with the show. Okay, now before we begin, uh, uh, again before we begin, uh, we have a caller, and uh, I believe it is it is uh, Aaron Healy of the CCFA or the uh, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. Something that we have been, um, are going to be talking about a lot in the next few days because uh, we are going to be participating in the uh, Rhode Island uh, Crohn's and Colitis uh, Foundation walk uh, in on uh, Saturday, I should say. So, are you with us, uh, Aaron? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, uh, yep. you sound fine. Yes. So, tell us what's going on on Saturday. So, uh, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America um, has walks all over the nation that help support patients with inflammatory bowel diseases such as Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Um, and our walk for Rhode Island is going to be at, uh, in Bristol at Colt State Park, absolutely beautiful site. Um, we will be located at Shelter One. Um, there will be plenty of signage and balloons and, and things to kind of let you know you're in the right place. Um, and we really just provide a lot of support um, for people going through this, especially if they're new, newly diagnosed. Um, and our goal is to raise seventy-five thousand dollars for this walk to go towards our mission. Okay, and Ben and I will be there participating. As a matter of fact, we have uh, started team behind the paranormal. A little late, but uh, you it's know, a little late. I know never, it's short notice. Never late than never. Sometimes better late than, than never. Yeah, but, <laughs> exactly. So we'd love to get anybody in the audience who, who could possibly join us on Saturday at Cold State Park in Bristol, uh, or uh, certainly you can. You don't have to do that. Just get online. Uh, we have our little web page on the CCFA site, and uh, if you would. You could make a little donation, even if it's a couple of bucks. Uh, we have $75 so far, which I'd like to raise 1500 And again, I know it's a tall order, but we will be there. And uh, we'd like you to walk with us if you can, or at least make a, uh, a contribution. And how can people get online and, and find out more information, Aaron? Um, so the easiest link is to go to www.cctakesteps.org backslash Rhode Island. And then they'll be able to put in your information and locate um, your page specifically. Um, but then again, you can always visit our 
our website, www.ccfa.org, for any information about the programs that we provide, other events that we have. We have an awesome event at Gillette Stadium in October. Um, it's a one-of-a-kind of event, and we just have a lot of really great things going on uh, to help bring awareness and some education for these diseases. Great. Uh, we do have a link on our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, and just look on that main page, and there'll be uh, uh, some information there, and you can hit the link, and that'll take you to our page, too. Uh, just, just before we let you go, uh, Aaron, what exactly is Crohn's disease? I know what it is, because Ben and I have a close family member who is, is a young man who suffers from this, and has. it's really just awful, and we also have a friend who has it. So what exactly is it, in case people don't know what it is? Yeah, I mean, it, it's still a very closeted disease because of the symptoms um, are not are not very pleasant, to say the least. Um, but it's definitely a disease that, that affects your digestive system. Um, so it's very difficult for patients to find a diet that works for them that doesn't cause a lot of pain or, or bathroom issues. Um, and, you know, it's 1.4 million Americans have this, these diseases, Crohn's and colitis, and not a lot of people talk about it. Um, so that's really what the foundation does is, is twofold. We help the patients that are suffering right now while simultaneously fundraising uh, to try and find cures for these diseases. Okay, great. Aaron, thank you for calling in. Again, Indeed, folks, thank you. Uh, yeah, it is the uh, uh, event will take place, the walk will take place at Cold State Park in Bristol, Rhode Island. If you can make it, please do. Otherwise, That's this Saturday. This Saturday. It's uh, yeah. registration's at 3. The event starts at 4, so you don't have to get up that early. Uh, which I appreciate, <laughs> and uh, so, and again, check out uh, probably the, might be the easiest way for our listeners who know our website. Just go to behindtheparanormal.com and just click on the link there. It'll take you to the uh, uh, the uh, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation uh, website and our page. So, thank you very much, Aaron, and we'll see you on Saturday. Thank you so much. Take okay. care. You All too. Right. Okay, folks. So let's um, proceed with our agenda here. Wanted to get through some of the material we didn't get through last week on our on our. Um, Extreme Paranormal Show. Now, here's one uh, that is related to our first question that we asked this evening. This is, uh, and much of this information comes from our good friend Lon Strickler and his marvelous site, phantomsandmonsters.com. Lon puts together, uh, practically on a daily basis, this amazing information that he gets from all over the world. And, of course, we can't vouch for the, uh, he gets it from uh, wire services and various newspapers. And, of course, you never know quite if, if the press got it right. That's 35 years in journalism talking. So, anyway, a... Um, a Sri Lankan man died Thursday after, a, I don't know which Thursday this was, this is very recent, there's no date on this, uh, died after a bizarre and botched ritual to drive out what he thought were evil spirits from a house outside the capital, which is Colombo is the capital of Sri Lanka, police said. And Sri Lanka, by the way, is an island uh, off the south coast, of, it's in the Indian Ocean, and uh, in, uh, near India, of course, and it's... it's uh, an island nation. Uh, the man sacri- sacrificed a cat and was then buried in a shallow grave after instructing onlookers to dig him out once he gave the signal of pushing a sword he was carrying through the ground, police said. Now, yes, I was involved in exorcisms as a seminary student, but I never heard of anything like this. I don't know what kind of ritual this is. Obviously, he was asking for trouble. And the problem was, was um, even at, this is a quote from a local police official, even after three hours, there was no sign of the sword coming up from the grave. Okay, well, there you go. Quote, that is when the onlookers decided to pull him out anyway, but he was unconscious. Uh, the unnamed official said, 
The 32-year-old man, identified by police as Maxi Castro, a local exorcist, so presumably he would know what he was doing, uh, was taken to, ho- to hospital early Thursday morning, but he had already died, officially, the official said, so obviously probably suffocated. The man had been requested to drive out demons, feared residing in the home of a school teacher at the village of Pelanwate, I believe it's pronounced. And uh, I, this goes on, but I mean, obviously, these things can be dangerous. And of course, the question arises, and someone has actually asked me after reading a report like this, did anybody ever die in an exorcism I participated in? Well, first of all, we didn't bury people in the ground. We didn't, you know, say, dig us up later. We didn't do any of that nonsense. Uh, the ones I participated in were, except for one, all in the, were about ten altogether. Nine of them were in the context uh, of, of a, of a, medical situation, a state, one of two state hospitals, as a matter of fact, very hush-hush, many, many years ago, it was in the 1970s when I was a seminary student, and uh, there was, three of these exorcisms were performed on the same person, Uh, sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't work, sometimes they worked for a while, and if I knew then what I think I know now, I would say, well, the the theology of this really wasn't quite up to the job. We have a certain point of view on these things, and it might not take in the whole picture. And now, of course, any regular listener knows we bring in the idea of the multiverse, parallel worlds, and parasitical entities, uh, this sort of thing with whom we sort of share a common uh, bio-existence, I suppose, in some ways, but that's another story. So, no, I have never seen anything like this before, and I hope I never do, and uh, this is why you have to be so careful with the paranormal in general, and especially when you're dealing with anything negative like this, because uh, st- there is physical danger. I have, I think the roots of, of what folklore calls demons are what we refer to as parasitical entities, because that's what they do. They feed upon our energy like some kind of mosquitoes, and they seem to be able to access alternate universes or, or different worlds as posited in the science of quantum mechanics. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, that seems to be how it, uh, how it works. Anyway, here's another interesting uh, bit of information from Alon Strickler. Uh, this one is... Um, Oh, th- th- this is another, I guess, good lesson for people who are, are extremely credible in, in paranormal matters without really taking the time to be a little bit skeptical about it. They're sometimes a lot skeptical. Uh, Chris uh, Date, or Date, spelled D-A-T-E, a psychic medium, is alleged to have rapidly departed the scene after suspicious staff who hung around after his ghost tour spotted the man climbing down the roof. Now, this doesn't say where this ghost tour was, probably just as well. The 38-year-old who calls himself Night Guider, with Night Night with a K, tells guests who pay 12, oh, there must be in England, pay 12 pounds a head for the ghost hunt. That's like 20 bucks, almost. Uh, 12 pounds a head for the ghost hunt that he can contact the spirit world. During a recent tour of the, quote, haunted halfway hotel, oh, I'm sorry, now we're in Wales, halfway hotel in Lanelli, South Wales, Fourteen ghost hunters were led into the hotel stables where Mr. Date or Date asked a spirit to knock twice in answer to a question. The guests were hushed as two ghostly knocks were heard coming from the ceiling above. Hotel owner Paul Francis, 33, I don't know what it is with British newspapers, they always give everybody's age, said, quote, a member of the staff and a member of the public wanted to see if someone came down from the attic where the knocking was coming from. Twenty minutes went by, and this guy jumped down. Our staff grabbed the guy and threw him out. Guest Mike Grimble, 43, 
said the man claimed he was homeless and had nothing to do with the spooky sounds, but were, but was wearing designer jeans. Huh, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? Mr. Date denied having any link to the mystery man in the attic and said, I'm disgusted by it. It was nothing to do with me. That is one reason that I left. Okay. Uh, Lon himself adds a little comment here. This happens occasionally with some of these so-called renowned psychics, but the truth eventually comes forward no matter how slick they think they are. Okay. Thank you, Lon. <clears throat> and again, Lon's website, phantomsandmonsters.com. He collects uh, a lot of extreme paranormal stories. Now here's, here's one that we also asked about in the beginning, too. Hairy Beast. Uh, the location, and, and this goes back a ways, uh, March 1955, I was two years old, in Hong Kong, China. And as you probably know, Hong Kong is a major urban area in Asia. It is not a small town. Here's the uh, information. Doors were barred in Hong Kong as the police searched for a hairy beast said by terrified residents to be a shaggy animal over six feet tall. One man, a village gardener named Law Chu, had fought it and lived. The thing attacked him about 50 yards from the family temple. It was co- covered with long, shaggy gray hair. It stood upright when it came at, came at him. It, he punched it in the stomach, but the creature fell on him and they grappled for some time. The creature then went away, loping on all fours. Sometime after that, a woman saw a strange animal galloping past her vegetable garden on four legs. And as proof, she exhibited large triangular footprints in the soft earth. They were unlike those made by a man or ape. That's all there is. So it's not unusual to see, I suppose, Bigfoot or any of these things and get reports of that. But in Asia, it's generally known as the Yeti. And, of course, we often think of the Himalayas or high mountain reaches that are snow-covered and the abominable snowman or whatever you want to call it. But the thing that's unusual about this is here it is in the middle of a major city, supposedly, uh, albeit uh, almost 60 years ago. Uh, now here's a, if you want to, you think 60 years ago was a long time ago. Here's another one from China from the year 1523. This was uh, also uh, dug up by Lon uh, Strickler too. Uh, daytime. It doesn't say what exact date it is, except it's the year 1523. A teacher named Lu Yu who lived in the village of, of Yugyu, I believe it's pronounced, was standing outside his home under a torrential rain when he noticed two, quote, ships, unquote, which were sailing on top of the clouds above some ruins across from his home. On the two ships, quote, which measured more than ten arms each, I guess that speaks for itself, he could see several tall men wearing each one a hat and multicolored clothing. Some kind of modern rock concert vision, I guess. They were holding a pole in each hand as the ships moved quickly overhead. The teacher, Lu Yu, then alerted, quote, ten well-read men, supposedly smart people, I guess, in the community, who stood beside him to observe the phenomenon. The ships then descended over the teacher and the ten other men and took the men on board the ships. So here's a 16th century abduction, perhaps, if you can believe this. The multicolored clothed beings then passed their hands over the mouths of the well-read scribes who could not speak anymore. I've actually heard of things like this in abduction cases. At this time, other men appeared on one of the ships, escorted like a mandarin and, and accompanied by a monk. Mandarin is usually a well-to-do uh, gentleman or of the uh, ancient Chinese school. Sometime later, the ships flew away through the clouds and were seen descending about a 
kilometer away near a cemetery. When the ships left, the ten well-read scribes were able to speak again, but five days later, Lu Yu died of unknown causes. Now, this reeks of stuff you see in some modern cases. Uh, in our CBS edition last night, we had John Burroughs, who was one of the original witnesses, uh, certainly a ringside seat eyewitness to the UFO landings and other incidents at Rendlesham Forest in England when he was in the U.S. Air Force. And um, I'm sure that anyone who listens to this show regularly is an expert on that case because we've covered it so often and so thoroughly with all the major witnesses, including high-ranking military officers. But in any case... This uh, uh, issue with John is uh, one that is very difficult for any veteran to listen to. Uh, Being a veteran, it makes me somewhat angry. He has been unable to get his medical records from the U.S. Air Force uh, for a number of, uh, well, he's not given any reasons. He has a lawyer now who's been working with the Freedom of Information Act even, and they can't seem to get anywhere. John believes that he suffered medical consequences from contact with a landed craft that... uh, I suppose one could certainly call a UFO because it came in from the sky. Uh, he and his uh, comrade, Jim Penniston, uh, experienced this, and uh, Jim actually touched the craft, and uh, a lot of interesting things happened. So in any case, uh, this is something that rings a bell with us about this fellow, uh, unfortunately in this case, dying after some kind of contact with the, with these craft. It doesn't mention anything about the, the uh, ten well-read scribes or the... Uh, uh, local uh, intelligentsia, I suppose, from the village. <clears throat> also, there was a the reference to the cemetery is interesting. Uh, the ships were seen descending through the clouds, were seen descending about a kilometer away near a cemetery. That brings to mind something that Ben and I heard in 2003 when we were uh, when I was speaking at the West Virginia Paranormal Conference uh, in August of that year in the town of Parkersburg on the Ohio River. Lovely uh, town, lovely people. And it was, there was a, a UFO presenter, I cannot remember who it was, but I sat through his program. And one of the things that he presented was a drawing of a cemetery with a, a UFO descending over. The, this, the people in the area were uh, known to report cases where UFOs would uh, seem to hover near this cemetery, particularly when there were newly dug graves or new graves or whatever. And this man was was wondering, is it possible that these craft are supposed to take people to the afterlife? And I thought that was a bit much myself. I don't see any evidence for that. I think there are far better explanations. But it was interesting, and that that's what came to mind when I saw this case uh, reported from the 16th century about uh, the uh, cemetery uh, sighting there. So anyway, um, I, I think we're going to have to get to some of our letters here because I was hoping Ben is busy around the studio here and had to get some other things going but let me uh, get to a very interesting one now we received this very recently and we bumped it to the head of the line because I thought it was a really articulate and very very good question uh, this is uh, from feel free to use my name well good this is from Ryan Hauser, Husser I should say Ryan Husser in Bellingham Washington not Bellingham Massachusetts in our listening area Bellingham Washington My wife and I have been listening to your podcasts since the beginning of the year when you had Michael Heiser on discussing UFOs and biblical tradition. Uh, Michael Heiser, as uh, you may recall, it was on this this edition of the show on WON here, and Michael Heiser is a, um, uh, a, a biblical scholar who also writes science fiction novels. Interesting combination, very, very interesting fellow. And one of the best science fiction writers I have ever read. So... In hearing your elaboration, <coughs> excuse me, 
In hearing your elaboration of the quantum mechanical multiverse and non-local consciousness theories, I'm wondering if you believe that the multiverse is finite or infinite. And uh, Ryan goes on to explain why he asks the question. But in other words, uh, th- th- this is he's asking, if we're talking about what I just mentioned, the multiple worlds theory of quantum mechanics, which we think explains just about everything in the paranormal, not because we sat in a classroom and learned about it, but because this is what I've seen for the last 43 years in working in this field. I couldn't think of any other explanation that really accounted, that was really good enough to explain all the paranormal phenomena that I myself have witnessed and do so with any any sense. The old ideas about spirits of the dead and all this, but they just didn't do it. There seemed to be far more to it than that, uh, particularly in the, some of the injuries I sustained and the physical nature of many of these phenomena. So in any way, uh, that's what he's talking about. And non-local consciousness uh, is, is a... Physicists who study consciousness, human consciousness, you know, how we know what we know, the fact that we know that we know, and all this business, uh, they will, they have, have uh, speculated, most of them, that there is, a, there is a non-locality involved. In other words, your memory, your imagination is not in your brain. That's why they can't find it in the brain, where there are hints and there are areas where, the, you know, something seems to be happening. But certainly there are links. But in, in, in this matter, there seems to be non-locality involved. In other words, we share seemingly, if this is correct, our memory our, our th- as, a, as a species. And even as a whole biosphere, all of life seems to have a collective consciousness. I should say collective unconsciousness. And even a collective consciousness to some degree. So that, that, that's what Ryan is referring to when he's talking about non-local consciousness theories. <clears throat> so uh, hence the question... Is the multiverse finite or infinite? In other words, is there a limit to the number of worlds, parallel worlds there can be? Because the theory is, and this is what I happen to believe I've seen in paranormal research, you, know, you put the theory into practice, how else do you do it? And how, how, how I think it's brilliantly expounded by paranormal experiences and research. Is it, um, are, are the, is that every possibility that anything that could possibly be, and any past, any possible future, any possible present, does actually exist. In other words, there really is a universe, a parallel world, in which you became a doctor, or in which you've already died, or in which you've never born, or in which you're me doing this show. Think about that. That's what the multiverse means. So he's asking, is there a limit to the number of parallel worlds there can be, or is it infinite? Before I, I get to my answer to that, uh, I'll continue with his letter. If the multiverse is finite, then each death, quote-unquote, or loss of contact from the non-local consciousness to biological reference points, our bodies, or ourselves, which not the same thing, uh, would diminish the overall experience of your or our being. I mean, it's pretty. I, I really admire our listeners when I have to translate the letter. Okay, what he's asking here is is based on our idea that the number of us's there are out in the multiverse, the number of you's, so to speak, to use a colloquialism in the proper sense, uh, is he's asking, is it limited? In other words, when you you die here, it's not just you. Your life extends out over many, many, many worlds into various versions of you, and it's all you, okay? So, in other words, when you die here in Rhode Island or wherever you happen to be listening, 
and you your consciousness shifts or, or your consciousness becomes you know something else that you are where you already are in some parallel world uh, does that diminish the whole you in other words if the multiverse is infinite there might be infinite numbers of you but if it's not infinite then every time you die in any particular world all of you is diminished that's what he's getting at here does it diminish the overall experience of your or our being okay unless the multiverse is infinite or at least one universe exists where one or all physical bodies are immortal the eventual loss of all biological reference points through death would leave your or our consciousness entirely disembodied and unable to interact with anything in the multiverse okay excellent question ryan now that I've explained the background of it, I, I think, well, first, I think you have to define your terms. You ha- and we're always saying this in the show. What do you mean by infinite? That might seem like a dumb question because infinite means uh, unlimited, completely unlimited. So that when we have a multiverse that's completely unlimited, we have an unlimited number of worlds. That, that, can, that can be answered on two levels. I think it is infinite, but infinity might not be full yet, so to speak. Infinity itself, I think, can expand. And this gets into certain theories of physics that I'm not entirely sure that I understand, but I think it makes sense to to put it that way. Now, I was looking at it this way. Many ancient cultures considered the world, or the worlds, they often used it in the plural uh, term, to be a tree. And uh, my uh, son, the producer, tells me I have to take a break, so uh, we'll do that. We'll come back to talk about Ryan's fascinating question in just a minute. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON, 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley. We'll be right back. The Extra Point, afternoons on ON 1240 Radio, bringing you local interviews, stories, and opinions on the local athletes with none other than radio great Lou Mandeville. Yes, that's me. Afternoons, Monday through Friday on ON 1240. In times of joy. In moments of grief. Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television. Reaching more people. Touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. Okay, I wanted to remind you once again about the uh, Crohn's and Colitis uh, Rhode Island taking ste- Rhode Island taking steps against Crohn's and Colitis Walk this coming Saturday at three o'clock. Registration, 4 o'clock the walk at Cold State Park in Bristol, Rhode Island. If you happen to be in our listening area and can't participate in that and join Team Behind the Paranormal for the walk, we can have a great time and get to know us. Ben and I will both be there. And it will be lots of fun and help raise money for this this cause that is very important. You may never have heard of Crohn's disease, but it is a very debilitating intestinal illness. Uh, my well, it's nephew, very hard to diagnose, too. It is, yeah, yeah. 
but uh, we see what uh, your cousin goes through, mm. and uh, oh, that's yeah. why we're, we're one of the reasons we're supporting this. And um, if you uh, would go to our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, there was a link right on page one there to go to our site. And if you can't participate in the walk, uh, at least try try to make a contribution, even if it's like five bucks. Pick Ben Ben or, or me or whoever else might be on the team when you get there. Uh, just do the click, and you can make the donation right there. Mm. If you can come, please do. We'd love to meet you, and uh, we'll have a good time. They give you food, and, and it's it's a wonderful, uh, beautiful location, too. So, and, and what also, time of day is this? Uh, it's 3 o'clock. The afternoon is the um, registration of 4 o'clock is the actual walk. Mm-hmm. Plenty of balloons and things to tell you where things are over there. <laughs> and uh, Signs everywhere. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people participate. So uh, please come if you can, or if you can't come, please go to our website, make the link, and make a donation to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. Great cause. Okay, so let's get back to our letter from Ryan Husser here. Uh, Ryan from uh, Bellingham, Washington, and Ryan is, um, has been asking some very, very good questions about the multiverse. And I was saying before the break that I think you have to really define our terms. What does infinite mean? And this world tree that many ancient cultures talk about, particularly Native Americans, seems to be the ex- expression of a concept of a tree with many, many branches constantly growing, more branches growing. And that, you know, in a funny way, really sums up what physicists who believe in the multiverse idea have often said uh, the multiverse can be interpreted in many ways but it's often been interpreted as almost like a tree uh, sort of giving birth to all sorts of possibilities uh, all possibilities as it goes along so at the uh, beginning of the universe all right uh, which might, presumably might have been the beginning of the multiverse too, right. the Big Bang Theory, which uh, there's some controversy about that theory now. But there apparently was a huge explosion of something from nothing. All sorts of material went out. But also space-time began at that. And presumably all possibilities uh, took place at the birth of that as well as it started to uh, become born at that time also. So not just our universe may have been born, but maybe all all universes and they, they keep being born. In other words, uh, ben, ben just took a drink from his um, wake-me-up kind of drink here, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if he had dropped that on the floor, he would have literally created a new world. That's how this seems to work. <laughs> One in which the station we're on explodes. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's that potent, huh? No, no, I just I just pictured yeah. that happening. But that's the thing. So if, if he would have dropped that, he would have created another, another world, would have branched off from that from the world in which he did not drop it. So right. you've got two different universes being created. This happens... So just think of how many times a day we make little decisions. Everybody in the world makes little decisions. Everybody in the universe makes little decisions. And new worlds are created. It is, it is impossible to grasp. So, the, so infinity, Ryan, might not be full yet. Infinity might be the possibility of infinity. And can infinity be full? I don't think so. Well, then so why would it be called infinity if it? Well, that, that, that's stop. one of our terms, and as we know, our language is not up to actually talking about this, and our brains probably aren't up to actually thinking about it, which is why you really have to experience well, it. Well, not too. anymore, really. I don't think our brains can really think about this stuff anymore. Or, well, we're so specialized that we have trouble going beyond what we know best. You know, well, that's right. That's yeah. true. That's true. So, so Ryan's point, and I don't, I don't want to lose the point here, was that every time. In a finite multiverse, every time one of us, one of our, one of our bodies, one one facet of ourselves dies in any particular world, we uh, the, the whole us is diminished. But you can't lose sight of one thing here, Ryan. It's not just us; it's all of us, because the logical progression 
if you can call this logic in the normal sense, goes beyond us to the whole biosphere. So in other words, as, as I said, in some manifestation of yourself, you might be me, and vice versa. We all share a common life. The way I put it, each of us is a unique expression of all of us. So all bodily life would have to die out. All biological life would have to die out. Maybe that will happen. I don't know. I don't think so, because all possibilities do exist. And if you can conceive of a world in which all is immortal, then it must exist. Mm. That is a possibility. The laws of physics would be different. The laws of biology would be different. But there must be such a world. So with everything out there, all possibilities are there. And I think I don't think it's ended yet. I think if you do believe in that split theory, then infinity is still filling up and can never be completely filled. The idea that... Um, what One idea you imply here, Ryan, is that life depends on biology in the physical sense. Now, we're always pushing the, the importance of the physical nature of things and uh, the stressing the physical nature of the paranormal phenomena we have seen and saying that the spiritualist approach isn't good enough, and I stick by that. Uh, but should all material, in our sense of the word, and there are many, many different senses of material out in the multiverse, I'm sure, should all our biological reference points, as you call it, die out, what difference would that make? You know, uh, biological reference points. Well, in other words, he, you and I are w- would be, in his sense, biological reference points. We would be points where our selves are and each other are, are manifest in physical form. Right. One of billions and billions, maybe infinite numbers throughout the universe, throughout the universe, the multiverse. And one point too is that we, I suppose, as ourselves, for what meaning that may have don't exist in all worlds. As I mentioned, worlds in which you were never born, this kind of thing. So, Well, not not we in that sense. So I don't want to convolute the point. I see what well, you're no, saying. Well, no, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, so I, this is, um, I think it's probably all we can say, but I hope I'm getting some of the points across here that um, this is uh, an infinite subject and, and there really are, are no adequate ways to express it in words except to say what we've said, I think. Yeah. So I don't, I think that... You may, may be asking the wrong question here, Ryan, uh, although it is a good one. Can't get the right questions without the right, or you can't get the right answers with the, without the right questions. Well, that's true, and I think that infinity is just that. Infinity, it, it might not be full yet, so to speak. You know, and again, it, it will never be full. Right. And uh, I suppose, in a way, that's, gets it, you can, draw some theological conclusions from that. One of the things I've always griped about is, is the very limited, uh, idea of heaven in many religions and the idea that uh, okay you, you get there and you're in the presence of God okay that's great but what that's wonderful but what is the presence of God in the sense of um, constant if growth stops if change stops nothing is more deadly to the human spirit than boredom yeah, it sounds very boring, but I don't think that's the way heaven, you know, whatever that term may mean, well, it's like, is. It's like the Twilight Zone, where that guy uh, who was like a thief, like died, and he, he, uh, did, well, he thought he went to heaven, but he didn't go to heaven. Like he, he was at a casino and he kept winning, and then he was like, "This is just so boring." He yeah, was just like, exactly. Geez. He's like, "Heaven, heaven's kind of crappy." Yeah. And the guy that got him there was like, "Oh, you're not in heaven," and like he was yeah. just like, "What?" <laughs> So God is bigger than all that. I mean, you know, we put God in a box and, and uh, anthropomorphize he, she, it, or them, and it's, it's I don't know, it's, I suppose that's the best we can do in some cases. So below the line is another part of Ryan's letter, which is 
deserves an answer too. Let's see what the line uh, is. There it is. Uh, enjoy my singing. Okay. Anyway, uh, moving on from metaphysics, uh, he continues to say, "I would love to hear a whole show on Bigfoot." Uh, being a uh, Pacific Northwest native, I enjoy uh, segments about Sasquatch and other cryptids. Uh, browsing your podcast library, I can't find a show. I said library. 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 Uh, I can't find a show uh, devoted to the hairy ape man, if that's what he is. So I just wanted to uh, suggest uh, a Bigfoot show for the near future. I've heard you mention um, encountering a noble Latin-ish speaking bear creature. I would I would like to hear you speculate on any connection to Sasquatch or other cryptids. Okay, well, there are two very interesting questions there. One of the reasons, we, we do have shows on, on Bigfoot in our podcast library, but there are well over 500 podcasts, so uh, I really would just advise you, just, just keep looking. Uh, I don't, I wish I had the numbers of the shows, but that's why we number the it shows. Was down so in, it was down in like the easy. 300s, like the early 300s, because I do remember that show very fondly with, um, uh, oh wait, no, that was a different show. Never mind. <laughs> well, we've done several shows on that, uh, including on, on the, the various films that have been made of Bigfoot. Yeah. Uh, the Kentucky uh, phenomenon and, and the various forms of Bigfoot here and there. I haven't done a lot. And one of the reasons we haven't done a lot of shows on this, not that we would like to, is because it's very difficult to find credible experts on that subject. Yes. Uh, Lauren Coleman, <clears throat> whom we know just through electronically, uh, is from Maine, not all that far from here, and, but, but his schedule has never allowed him to be on the show because of the, the Sunday night and Monday night um, slots we have are just he just can't do that so we're trying i suppose we should do a pre-record but i don't like pre-records yeah it's it's not as spontaneous no it's not but we'll see what we can do and we'll keep working on lauren lauren coleman is probably the premier cryptozoologist uh certainly in america and probably in the world very uh, credible very credible certainly could address that subject but we we, we are trying and we will redouble well, our efforts very, ryan it's it's a very very strange field in that there aren't that many people in it to, that that, no, connect, that are no. actually extremely knowledgeable. Lauren Coleman's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, well, there are a few others, but uh, certainly, Ryan, we will redouble our efforts to uh, get to get an expert and do a Bigfoot show mm. uh, in the near future. Uh, now, the second part of this was this um, encountering the noble Latinish speaking bear creature, and uh, to, to, to the uh, untutored ear, that might sound pretty weird. Oh, we've, it told, was. We've, we've told the story quite a few times. Yeah, we have, but uh, just briefly, uh, it was in the Buffalo, New York area. Uh, I was uh, out there uh, following up on a, some, a ghost report. People were concerned they heard footsteps in their attic, and they were afraid in, in this business. Uh, actually, uh, what I encountered was a very... Uh, noble multiversal neighbor, if you will, if you want to say that, and this was a uh, it, he gave the the energy was almost like that of, of uh, a bear, a very ursine in a sense, and I could see a physical outline because I don't believe these are spirits. And he was on a quest, and uh, his path sort of took him by accident through an area that overlapped with our world. This is how this stuff works, and uh, I had to communicate with him uh, in a very he was speaking a very strange form of Latin and it took the better part of three days to get through what he was saying and I believe I got it right but that's what he's referring to here was this related uh, to Sasquatch or other cryptids I never even thought of that Ryan thank you for asking that Ryan's just full of great questions today well this is what what we we, you know this is these are are our listeners these are intelligent hands on probing people hands on radio who do not want to uh 
you know, get steeped in the shallow nature of many of the shows today, and that they want to go deeper. That's what we try and do. Indeed. So bravo. But in any case, I, I had never thought of that. I don't. I think that that the idea that Bigfoot is a um, or whatever name you want to call that sort of creature is a multiversal creature is is a definite possibility. How come you never find a body? There have been hairs found, but yet, but they sort of come and go. <clears throat> Many Native American tribes will tell you that they are shapeshifters, these creatures. They'll be in front of you one minute and go on the next. Many UFOs will be in front of you and go on the next. Many things we consider to be ghosts are in front of you and go on the next. How does this work? They know how to cross the world boundaries. Or they just happen to live in places where those boundaries are so thin that you can blunder across them at any, at any point. Human beings have reported having done that without intending to. So in that sense, I don't think this particular creature I happened to encounter was <coughs> was a Sasquatch or anything, but uh, may have used the same process by which to make his quest. He seems to be aware, from what I could gather, of the multiplicity of worlds, although I couldn't quite get whether he knew how to deliberately cross them or not. Or not. But I, I don't think this was a Sasquatch, but I think the process might have been the same. So again, thank you for the great questions, questions Ryan. And uh, we have... Um, Getting your words confused with the, the word quest. All right, uh, right. what's... Okay, we have a couple of questions from Facebook now. Uh, and uh, again, the, the form on our site that people are used to using uh, is not uh, there anymore. We're going to try to find a way to put it back because we had to change the nature of the hosting platform and all this business on the website. But you can't, but there are links to uh, email us questions and a lot of people are using the Facebook page. Uh, Indeed. I also got rid of my Facebook for a time, just getting that out there because I, I, I need to do work yeah. and it just kept getting in the way. So well, some people put them on the public uh, yeah, Facebook page. Which I, lot, which most I, people seem yeah. to use the message instead, which yeah, is Yeah, so in, in case anybody puts something on my wall or whatever and then they notice that my, my, my Facebook disappeared, that it is because I don't need it because of school. That's the only thing. It's just getting in the way, and I need to get things done. So you do have it or you don't have it? I don't. <laughs> oh, you got rid of it again? Yes. Okay, I'm going to hear the gripes all the way to China. Okay, well, this is uh, from Facebook, and this is from Phil Paluzzo in Stamford, Connecticut, right at the top there. Alrighty, so uh, Phil writes to us. Paul and Ben, I have been listening to your uh, podcast about the Bridge Port Poltergeist case, and I was curious uh, if, in fact, you believe something was actually there, or do you think it was a hoax? Well, yeah. All right, why don't we stop there? <clears throat> All right. That occurred in November 1974, and we've talked about it many times on the show. It was it was probably it was the second worst poltergeist outbreak I ever saw, and it. That was that. That's the question. I saw it, but with my own eyes, I was there <clears throat> for three days uh, with Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were in charge of the case. And uh, these things actually happened. Uh, there was no hoax. As a matter of fact, my job was to sort of stick with the little ten-year-old girl in the house to make sure she was not doing any of these things. Police and firefighters were in there, all witnessed things. Um, and this was, I was injured by a television set going over, uh, a floor model television set that I had no reason whatsoever to turn over. And uh, again, the skeptics very often will criticize this. Well, the house was too small for this stuff to be going on. Well, they weren't there. I was there. And uh, I do not consider myself to be a frivolous person. I do not uh, accept things at face value. I ask questions. I do research. And uh, this, I can assure you, uh, was um, uh, a legitimate uh, situation here. Uh, there, were, and again, multiple events over 
several days and uh at one point I mean you name it it happened in this house at one point uh, Lorraine Warren was sitting at the table kitchen table there was a police officer sitting there me uh, Ed Warren and several other people were in the kitchen and a a second degree burn I watched it as it appeared a second degree burn spontaneously appeared on her hand and she she uh yelped at it of course as anyone would because it was very painful but no one was smoking there was no uh source of, of, of uh, fire or heat anywhere near the table. And, uh, again, this is one of many, many things that happened. So there was no hoax involved in that. All right. Uh, well, the question goes on. You sort of answered this. Uh, did some uh, real activity happen, or was it a combination of real activity uh, and, quote, enhanced, unquote, by the media? Also, was the little girl ever removed from the house? If so, did the activity stop? Okay, I'm going to lose track of it. Uh, well, <clears throat> as a member of the media for 35 years, I can assure you that, uh, you know, believe none of what you read and half of what you see. Uh, nine times out of ten, it is not intentional on their part to get uh, things wrong, to get the fact, to not get the facts straight. And unfortunately, uh, today... Um, and uh, we certainly should mention this because our, our sympathy and prayers go out to the families of anyone involved in this. Uh, at the uh, uh, Washington Naval Yard in, in uh, Washington, D.C., of course, there was this yet another terrible act of violence, and uh, we don't know what has been caught, co- what the cause was. Well, we know what the cause was. We don't know how many people were involved or what the motive was or whatever. And I already have heard people speculating about this. I'm asking if you'd like to take a drink. Oh, no, thank you. I have that. I'm just, I don't know, I'm just um, a little bit hoarse today. It's and maybe it's allergies, yeah. But I'm all right. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. But in any case, uh, you know, the speculating on these things is, is really rough. And even when they, they do have some facts, it's, it can be very, very difficult to get it right. And they often will blame the pressure of deadline. And I can testify that that is a, is a terrible pressure. And you do try to get it right uh, considering the deadline. So the media... Uh, I will say this, and this may surprise you. The only paper, and this this was in papers all over the world. We had reporters calling from as far away as Australia and Hong Kong. The only paper I saw that really got it right was, are you ready for this? The National Enquirer. Because I was a reporter from there. Irony. <laughs> yeah. Such, such and, irony. Uh, I did not allow my last u- name to be used because I was in enough trouble already with the seminary authorities. But they just used Paul, the seminary student, because everybody in the East Coast in the church knew who it was. Paul the seminary. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> and uh, so that so that that being as as it was, the, the press really did um, try to get it right, I think, but there was, I don't think there was any deliberate embellishment. I will say this uh, too, though, one of the strangest things I ever saw, and I've seen in a life of seeing strange things, was uh, involving the cat in this house. The cat supposedly could talk. I mean, I could see the little girl was doing it. But this was Bridgeport is not far from New York, so the the sight of reporters from CBS and and with respect to CBS, that's our own network on Sunday nights. CBS News, ABC News, and NBC News standing around pointing microphones at the cat, asking it to say something, is a vision I will never forget. Ah, but it makes good news. Well. I, I don't if, know if, if, they, if they do indeed get a talking cat. Well, I, the cat didn't really say anything. But uh, anyway, it, it, some of it descended into the realm of the ludicrous. But at the root of it, there were definitely things going on. Uh, did I answer the two questions there? Uh, yes. Uh, well, sort of. There, there were multiple ones. There was one that connects up with uh, what's it called? Parapsychology. Um, 
All, uh, he says, uh, also, was the little girl ever removed from the house? If so, did the activity stop? Oh, okay. Uh, we were thrown out. Uh, and this is what happened. After three days there and the lack of food, lack of sleep and everything else, we grabbed what we could when we could. The uh, city had, had, this was all over the news, all over the world. It was in headlines, especially all over Connecticut. There were, according to the police, 10,000 or more people gathered outside this house. They cordoned off the street. This is Lindley Street in Bridgeport. And that was good because on the final night there, this thing attacked, or several of them did, and that's when I had my physical confrontation with it. It pushed me out of the way and threw the little girl across the room at one point. I, the energy in the house was so strong, I pulled everybody out and put them on the sidewalk, and that's when we noticed that the street was cordoned off. So the next day, the Warrens left to be on uh, some kind of television interview, and I drove back to uh, my home in East Hartford and uh, you know, just, just to get some sleep and something to eat. And I was going to go back that afternoon to Bridgeport. Uh, but uh, I heard on the radio... Uh, the New York uh, ABC station, WABC, that the, the police had declared the whole thing a hoax, and uh, that was that. And I said, whoa, what, what's going on here? So I get back there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and the policeman threw me off the property. And what had happened was, as we were later told, the police went in, shut down the place, told the family that this was it, the city was tied up in knots, they couldn't handle it anymore, and that the kid had done it. Which is ludicrous. Yeah, right. That little ten-year-old girl throwing around uh, three-hundred-pound refrigerators and, you know, throwing appliances that injured me and injured her mother and everything else was ludicrous. And again, there were policemen in the house most of the time. So in any case, that was the end of that. And uh, everything we heard later was through uh, Ed, Ed Warren got from his information sources because he knew several people in that area, and, he, and I, I have no reason to believe that the information sources weren't weren't correct. And uh, Ed and I were on uh, the radio and. Uh, for several days, you know, battling with the police, saying it was not a hoax. So, in any case, that um, uh, the little girl was uh, around Christmas time, uh, or slightly after that, as I understand it, taken from the house and brought to the Fairfield Hills uh, State Hospital, which fortunately no longer exists, and was given the battery of tests. Uh, as we heard it, we the events followed her, and this is a typical parasite situation. And because uh, she was the seemed to be the main target, and wh- when when you break the parasite away from the person, uh, there are a number of ways to do that. Then it'll often go to someone else in the family. Uh, we've seen that happen again and again. So this apparently was what happened. She was removed from the house. The uh, for sale sign went up, and as I understand, I don't know what happened to them immediately after this, but uh, I know that they had to sink their uh, Christmas tree in concrete that year because this was in November the following month was Christmas and because the tree kept moving but in any case they uh, she was given tests there wasn't anything strange found except for the things that were happening around her that's my information I don't know if it's absolutely accurate and the family moved away I am not sure where I know that the little girl uh, today would be of course considerably older and um, I understand that she moved to the west coast somewhere so uh, but I do not know where I've not been in touch so in any case, that's the story with that. So that's. I don't know if that really answered the question. I guess it. Well, I guess. Well, she the, was removed yeah, I, from the house, and things didn't stop. It went with her. Right, right, right. Okay, so continuing because there's still yeah. more. Uh, he says, "Quote: I have uh, been a paranormal investigator for quite some time, and have learned that often where there is this type of activity, it's usually a child near puberty. Often, when the child is removed, the activity stops, uh, lending credence." That, there are, that they are the cause of such activity. Do you find this to be true? 
No, I don't. This is the idea that is is very common. Actually, it is the main line in parapsychology that the the energy produced by the in in many cases a child or someone else going through great stress and trauma is uh, otherwise known as the agent. The agent produces the poltergeist. All right, this might match up with certain, I suppose. Well. Traditions that emerge from Tibetan Buddhism, the tulpa, you know, you can produce these things. I have never found that that's how it works. In my opinion, for what it's worth, and from what I've seen in poltergeist cases, these, these are actual beings, actual entities that are multiversal. They are entirely physical, because I've had physical confrontations with them, and they hear the dinner bell ringing because of the energy being produced by the so-called agent. And I've also seen the, we've all, I've also I've done this, broken the connection between the food source, otherwise known as the agent, and the parasite, and the parasite has moved on to another member of the family who might not have been anywhere near puberty or any kind of you know, classic person that this uh, would involve. You have to keep watching. That's the thing. You don't just swoop in and do even even a couple of weeks. You have to keep watching. Ben and I work on cases for years, and it's amazing what you can find out. But that's about all the time we have for that. Indeed. And uh, thank you again, Vincent, for the uh, very very thoughtful letter. Who's and that? Uh, Phil. Phil. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Vincent. Where did I get? This is middle name. Oh, this is middle name. Ah, hey, all right. I got one of the names. So thank you for writing it. Okay, so uh, let's do our announcements. Uh, again, I'll say one time, one more time, this Saturday, September 21st, Ben and I will participate in the Rhode Island Take Steps for Crohn's and Colitis at Colt State, Colt State Park in Bristol, Rhode Island. If you happen to live in this area and want to join Team Behind the Paranormal for the walk, we'd love to have you with us and get to know you a little bit. Even if you can't participate, please consider making a contribution in any amount. There's a link to our walk and donation page at BehindTheParanormal.com. You can register there, or you can just make a contribution. And we will have an on-air drawing on October 7th for two free four-ticket pa- four family, four family packs. There's got to be an easy way of saying that. Uh, for the no. first New England UFO conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts, on Saturday, October 26th, among the speakers will be the uh, famous UFO experts who are regularly on the show. Stanton Friedman, Kathleen Martin, Peter Robbins, among others. And uh, my dad and I will be there to interview them in front of a live audience, and they will uh, take questions from the audience, too. And uh, all you have to do to enter this contest is to send an email to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or drop us a snail mail at at, uh, behindtheparanormal, care of WOON, 1240 AM, 985 Park Avenue, Winsocket, Rhode Island, 02895. Be sure to include your name, address, and phone number. And there's also a link at the behindtheparanormal.com website. And uh, we just found out that we will also become speakers at this event. Okay, and we do emphasize that this drawing is only for the tickets, uh, not for accommodations or transportation. Right. All right. Uh, Our CBS show on Sunday, December 8th, We'll mark our 500th official broadcast, not counting special shows. We would love to hear your suggestions about what we should present that evening, your favorite guest, an open line show, or some special paranormal topic for us to cover on our own, as we sometimes do, or some guests we've never had before. Please drop us a line one way or the other and let us know. Also, Ben and I will be presenting Behind the Paranormal, A Cosmic Journey at the Harris Public Library right here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, September 25th. That's a week from Wednesday. There's no charge, no registration, and there will be refreshments. Are we done? Well, no. We still have a few more seconds if you okay. want to do the quote really quickly. All right. Let's do the quote. All right. Uh, this is from 
Some wisdom from a from Jewish author and scholar Abraham Kahan. Remember that it is not enough to abstain from lying by word of mouth, for the worst lies are often conveyed by a false look, smile, or act. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our Greek cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.